discipleship part two, chapter 14 of the book of Luke. Last week, I challenged you, a very odd challenge, very odd beginning to this series. But I said, you need to stop being a Christian and start being a disciple. A Christian can mean anything. Christian is an adjective. Christian is defined by the world. Christian is something that we have watered down in the society. 80%, something like that, of Americans say they're Christians. We know that's just not true with the way that this country works. And many people have to make this decision at some point. Am I going to be a Christian or am I going to be a disciple? Jesus never defined Christian. He never said, this is what a Christian looks like. But he constantly defined disciple. And we're going to look today at one of the areas in, in the Bible where Jesus literally kind of laid down the hammer, threw down the hammer, laid down the law, drew a line in the sand. This is what discipleship looks like. This is what following me looks like. And we're going to get there. Now, last, last week, I also shared a little illustration. And you know what the problem is with three services a weekend is that I'll say one thing in a service and I won't say it in another service. And at first service, I'm so sorry, but I made this illustration, and I should have made it last week to you, but I'll do it now, that there's a lot of Christians who are like oatmeal raisin cookies. Does anybody, any first service people like oatmeal raisin cookies? Okay, you people need Jesus. You aren't saved, okay, because anything with oatmeal and raisins should not be qualified as a dessert item. Oatmeal's nasty, raisins are nasty. Don't put them in cookies. You ruin the cookie. Somebody needs to introduce you to the chocolate chip cookie. Then you'll be like, I found Jesus, hallelujah. That's what a cookie should taste like. A lot of Christians are like that. Your oatmeal raisin cookies, you look like a good, the, thing, the frustrating thing about an oatmeal raisin cookie is that it will look like a chocolate chip cookie. And has, there, has, ever, has anybody ever uh, experienced the oatmeal raisin cookie chocolate chip cookie juke? Yes. I got a part, yes, you know what I'm talking about. You walk up to the cookie tray, you're like, oh my gosh, chocolate chip cookies. You pick it up and you bite it and you're like, nasty. What is this raisin? Well, you, cannot, you cannot substitute chocolate chips with raisins. They're not even in the same food category. Okay? Raisins aren't food. Chocolate chips are one of the major four food groups, okay? And so I said, look, some Christians are like that. You look like cookies. You look like Christians. You look like followers of Jesus. But once you pick inside of them or once, they, once you open them up, you realize that they aren't chocolate chip cookies. They aren't truly following Jesus. And so that's, that's the point that I made last week. And, and that was to just illustrate the idea. Stop being a Christian and start being a disciple, and, uh, and then so this past week, from our second service Sunday and our Saturday service crowd, I found out that we have some angels in this church. We have some angels. We have some really wonderful people who are going to be really, really rewarded in heaven. One, one dear saint in our church baked me a batch of chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and I don't want to tell you who, her, who she is, what her name is, because her reward is in heaven. <laughs> Bless her heart. Uh, but we also have some demons in this church, some devils. Somebody left these outside my office. Now, you know who you are, and we're praying for your salvation. These are not cookies. These just, they belong somewhere else. I don't even want to talk about them. I don't even want to look at them. Yeah. All right. So let's get into this message. Uh, one, one thing that you 
have to remember is that last week we, we threw a number on the screen. It was 25%. 25% of our church is in small group. We want to raise that number. We want to get more of you into small group. We want to see you get relationships, just like Marianne just shared, relationally growing in Christ. You can't do this alone. We said that there were four names that the church, the early church, called themselves long before they ever were referred to as Christians. Uh, there were four names in the New Testament. Uh, I want to see if you remember from last week. The first name was what? Saints. They called themselves the saints of God. And then the second name uh, they, they called themselves begins with, the. <laughs> so what they call themselves? The church. The church literally in Greek means the gathering. The gathering together. That's what literally the word in Greek means. Ecclesia. It's a gathering. When Jesus says, I will build my church, he actually says literally, I will build my gathering. So this idea that I can be a Christian and not go to church is antithetical to everything Jesus taught us. It's not even in the word. You can't actually say I'm part of the church and I don't go. You, you, how can you be part of a gathering when you're not actually at the gathering? <laughs> and so that's the second name that we talked about. The third name, what do you guys remember? The third name they call themselves. Brothers and sisters, that they were family. At the end of the day, that's what we are. We will have our disagreements. We will have our fussing and our fighting. We will sometimes hurt each other unintentionally, hopefully unintentionally, but we will forgive each other. We will care for each other. We will love each other. And I said this last week, that the blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of family. That their old saying is the blood is thicker than water, but the blood of Jesus is thicker than both. And that through Christ, we are part of a new relationship with people, a new bond of brothers, a new band of fellowship that is close and intimately acquainted with one another. And so we will care for one another, bear one another's burdens, love and serve one another as part of God's eternal family. And the fourth name we threw out there, which is the name Jesus used of us most often, 230 times in the New Testament, Jesus called us disciples, disciples. So 25%, that number needs to go up. We need to be disciples. We need to do this together. We need to do what Jesus called us to do. The first thing that Jesus did when he started this mission, he started a small group. He called together 12 men to do life together. And that's what we're all about here at Waters Church. Well, we also want to throw out some more numbers today just to give you an illustration of what's happening in our world and where we are spiritually here in America, in Massachusetts, and in North Attleboro. So we got a video prepared for you. We want you to watch this. talented bunch of people here at this church. That's, that's why I just wanted to give you that information, and I think that it's fantastic. Listen, I think it's fantastic 
that 11% of you have yet to make that commitment to Christ. We want to be that kind of church where you can come and just explore Christianity. Because when you look at Jesus, and when you start to examine what he said, you realize that he set the entrance level really, really low. Just, just come. Tax collector, come. Prostitute, you come too. I mean, anybody, everybody, sinners, publicans, notorious sinners. One part of the scripture says that notorious, notorious sinners came to follow Jesus. So that bar was really low, but the commitment bar. The bar when you actually say, okay, I'm signing on. That bar, Jesus said, extremely high. And we're going to look at that today. Two things about Jesus and his public ministry when he walked the earth. Jesus could gather a crowd. It's estimated that at one point, 20,000 people followed Jesus. 20,000 people. In those days, that was monstrous. Entire villages, it would say, came out to see him. When he enters the city of Jerusalem for the final time, the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that the entire city was stirred. Jesus knew how to gather a crowd. Listen, he healed people, he spoke with authority, and he raised people from the dead. And because of those things, people just came out in droves to hear him. Jesus knew how to gather a crowd. But the second thing that you need to know about Jesus is Jesus knew how to scatter a crowd too. Every once in a while, he would just dial up the ratchet on discipleship. And he would just say, here's what it looks like. Okay, you're interested in, in following me? You're interested in doing life my way? Here's what it's going to look like. And he would preach these sermons that they were just blow you out of the water sermons that you would, you would have a hard time imagining. Is anybody going to come back next week? Is anybody really down with this? Because this is a hard saying. In fact, in John chapter 6, when Jesus gets done with one of his notoriously hard sermons, the people walk away. John chapter 6, verse 66. Interesting number. It says, from that point on, many people, many people walked away and no longer followed him. And he turned to the disciples and he said, are you going to leave too? And they said, where will we go? You alone have the eternal words of life. And we know we have come to believe that you are the eternal son of God. But many people at many times in Jesus' ministry came to see him. And when they found out what it was really about, they walked away. Discipleship bar for Jesus was way up here. We're going to look at one of the sermons that did that, one of the sermons that kind of separated the wheat from the chaff, one of the sermons where Jesus drew a clear line in the sand of what it means to be his disciple. Luke chapter 14. I, I affectionately call this the hardest sermon ever preached. <laughs> the hardest sermon ever preached. Look what it says in verse 25 of Luke chapter 14. It says, now great crowds accompanied him. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned to them and said, I, I, I just want you to picture this now. Okay, so Jesus is at the height of his ministry. Great crowds are there. Lots of people following. The church is humming. You can see the disciples are like, I'm so glad we chose this rabbi. I'm so glad we chose this guy. He is so popular. Things are going so well for us. You see, Judas is counting the money, the offerings from last week, and he's just like, oh, this is awesome. We are just raking it in with this guy. He is a gold mine. 
All the disciples are like, you know, let's get everything ready this week. It's going to be a great Sunday. It's going to be a great sermon. I just love listening to Jesus. Don't you love listening to Jesus? I love listening to Jesus. He's just so cool. What's he going to say next? And so you got to picture it like this, that the lights have gone up. The video has ended. Pastor Jesus takes the stage. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? Ears are open, attentiveness, everybody's anxious, and here's what he says, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Yikes. Like, Peter and John are probably just turning to each other like, what did he just say? <laughs> Judas is like, this is going to be very bad for us, very bad financially. I don't know how we're going to fund the ministry when he talks about this kind of stuff. <laughs> Philip's like, here he goes again. Oh, my goodness. And he's just getting warmed up because ne next verse. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, Jesus, the cross is kind of bad. The cross is where people die. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, can you imagine 18th century France, Jesus saying, whoever does not stick his head in the guillotine cannot be my disciple. I mean, this is what he's saying. This is what it's going to look like. You want to follow me? It's serious business. And I can see the disciples being like, you know, Jesus, why don't you just soften it up a little bit? I, mean, I know you got something serious to share, but why don't you open up with a cute illustration or something? Like, why don't you talk about some kid who lost his puppy and how the puppy got lost, but then he found the puppy? People like puppies. She's like, no. No, I'm going to give it to you straight. And, and, and I can see some people are like, this is hard. Following this guy is more than I thought about, more than I considered in the first place. And Jesus, to those people, he would say, you're right. In fact, I want you to think about it. I want you to think long and hard about following me. Here's what he says next in verse 28. For which of you, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Can we say those three words together? Count the cost. He says, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to take on him who is coming against him with 20,000. And if not, if he doesn't think he has what it takes, he'll send out a delegation for terms of peace. Jesus says, I want you to think about it. I don't want you to rush into this decision half-heartedly. I don't want you just to kind of cross a line and sign on a dotted line and commit to this membership thing. And if you're not totally 100% sold out, one thing is for sure about Jesus. He did not believe in fine print. Anybody ever get caught on fine print? I remember when I, when I, when I mistakenly leased my, fir my first leased car. Signed on the dotted line. Didn't read the fine print. And for those of you considering doing the same mistake, let me, let me illuminate you. <laughs> they don't tell you it in the major print, but they'll, they'll, it's in the fine print. You're responsible for everything for that car, even though you don't own it. 
You're responsible for the taxes. You're going to get that big tax bill at the end of the year. You're responsible for the insurance. You're responsible to maintain. You're responsible to change the oil. You're responsible for every mile that you go over their limit. And if you scratch it, you're responsible. And if you dent it, you're responsible. And if you lose one of the little cup holder thingies, you're responsible. They don't tell you that up front. It's fine print. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is like, I want you to clearly understand what it means to be my disciple. Take up your cross, despise your own family, and lastly, verse 33, he says, therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I like the Eugene Peterson, the message version of verse 33. I want to put it up on the screen. Here's what it says. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Ladies and gentlemen, it's for sermons like this where you cannot ever walk away from Jesus and say, yeah, he was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. You can't leave Jesus a good teacher when he says stuff like this. Because good teachers don't ask you to love them more than you love your children. Good teachers don't ask you to take up your cross and follow them. See, if Jesus is just a good teacher, then you can wipe him off. You can just write him off. He's delusional. But if Jesus is God, then he has every right to make these demands of us. Because he formed us. He created us. He loves us. He has us in the palm of his hand. This world is about him. It's made by him. It's made for him. It's made about him. The heavens declare his glory. The earth, Jupiter, Saturn, Mars, they all exist to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he is who he said he is, if he is God, then he has every right to expect every ounce of commitment and dedication that we can give him. You can't, you can't walk away truly studying Jesus and do what a lot of people do in our world and say, he was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. No, he's either who he was or he was sadly mistaken. And in which case, I wouldn't follow anything he says, but he is God. And Jesus is saying, look, um, uh, verse 34, he goes on, salt is good. But if salt loses its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Remember that sermon in Matthew 5? Remember when Jesus was just starting out and he said, look, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Remember that sermon? Oh, that was awesome. I love feeling like I'm important. I love feeling like, I, yeah, salt in Jesus' day was a preservative. It kept meat safe. It kept... Um, uh, water sometimes was, uh, not water, but food was made flavorful as it is today through salt. That mo There's a uh, large percentage of our bodies that are made up of salt. And Jesus is saying, this is how important you are to the work of God. This is how central and integral you are to what God is doing on the earth. You are the salt, the preservative, the flavoring. You are what makes this world keep going in the right direction. And I love hearing sermons like that. I love hearing about how important we are to what God is doing on the earth. But Jesus says there's something else you need to know about being salt. If you lose your flavor, look what he says. You become useless. You become useless. Think about it. 
when food is left over and you pull it out from the fridge to eat it the next day and it's lost its flavoring, what do you put on it? Salt. But if salt has lost its flavoring, what do you put on it? Nothing. Not pepper. <laughs> if salt loses its flavor, you're done. And he actually says this. Listen, he says, it's, no, it's of no use either to the soil or to the manure pile. Jesus says, some of you, you quit, you give up, you're not even good enough for the manure pile. I just see the disciples being like, where is he going with this sermon? And then he goes on. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like the disciples are praying in the corner, please, Lord, let them not hear what he's saying. Please, Lord. And Jesus is like, he who has ears to hear, make sure you heard what I said. <laughs> like Jesus set the come level way down here. Just follow me down here. That's all I want. But the discipleship level is up here. Do you know what I think? I think that if we're going to be the church that honors Jesus and glorifies Jesus and worships Jesus, then we had better do the same thing. Let us not cheapen what it means to follow Jesus. Because I think if there's one thing that's ruining America, it is not the Democrats and it is not the Republicans. It is the Christians who say that they're following Jesus, but their lives look nothing like Jesus. That there is no distinguishable quality between you and your unsaved neighbor except where you spend Sunday mornings. And Jesus is just kind of throwing the hammer down and saying, this is what it's going to look like when you follow me. And it's not going to be, sometimes it's not going to be comfortable. And it's not going to be five steps to a happier marriage or seven steps to more obedient children or five weeks to better finances. Are those good things? Yeah, but they're not true discipleship. They're not what Jesus came to say. And he just, he lays it down. This is what discipleship looks like. Now, let me just make something clear. Salvation costs you nothing. Discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation is what God does for you. Discipleship is what you do with God. Discipleship for Jesus was, big, was a big deal. Three times in this passage, he says, you can't be my disciple. If this is the reality for you, you can't be my disciple. So I'm going to look at four things that Jesus lays out for discipleship. Because if we're going to be a church that honors Jesus, we've got to set the bar where Jesus set the bar. And here's what it says. Number one, if you're taking notes, following Jesus may rupture my relationships. Following Jesus may make some of my relationships more troublesome. Like it kind of blows away the philosophy that following Jesus will heal your relationships. Maybe it will. But he says, look, if you don't hate your father and your mother and your wife and children and brothers and sisters and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. And, and, and some of you are like, hate, I thought we were supposed to love. And yes, we're supposed to love. But the word hate here in this uh, form of teaching, it's a Semitic form of teaching, it's the comparative term. Jesus is saying, 
that your love for me should be so much, so high, so devoted, that it sometimes looks like you hate everybody else. That's how much he wants from you. Absolute, total loyalty. And, and we talked about this a few weeks ago in Epic Fail, that nobody, uh, no other, no one else's opinion gets your attention like Jesus' opinion. That no one, there's no rock, there's no weight in your life that carries more weight in your life than the weight of what Jesus asks you to do. That's what discipleship looks like. That the person who has absolute control over your life at the end of the day, Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, when, when, when it comes down to you choosing your wife or me, it's got to be me. When it comes down to you choosing to please your father or me, me. Or your children or me, it's got to be me. I want total Loyalty. And some of you, this is your reality. I know that I'm talking to some people that Jesus has actually made your relationships harder, not easier. Like somebody told you that come to Jesus and your life will be better. And you're like, absolutely not. It actually made it a lot worse. Now every single holiday is awkward. <laughs> right? You go to Thanksgiving and it's just like, oh, here we go again. And they're just like, how's Jesus? How you doing with all your churchianity and all that stuff? What's going on with you? And you're just like, can we please just eat turkey? And it's just, you know, Jesus has driven a wedge between some valuable relationships. He's put some pressure on. There's going to be relationship pressure. Some of you, you're married to somebody who does not love Jesus. You know it. You could stand up here all day long and tell us how hard it is. They're like, you're going to church again? Do you have to go every week? And now they want you to go to a small group? They want you to go to somebody's house? What are you talking about? This is weird. What have you, what, what, what's wrong with you? And then they threaten and get angry and mad and throw fits and they don't understand because your love for Jesus can at times drive a wedge between people who don't love him and you. Some of you come from a rich family history, a rich family history, and your entire family going back 5,000 generations went to that church on the corner. And they don't understand, why do you go to that other church? I mean, it's fine if you want to do that every once in a while, but every week I don't understand that. Don't you understand that grandma went to this church? Don't you understand that your great-grandma went to this church? Do you understand how disappointed grandma would be if she knew that you weren't going to her church? Is that what you want to do? Do you want to kill grandma? Well, grandma died five years ago. Do you want to kill her in heaven? I mean, really, that is, is, I'm making light of it, but it's a real fact for some of you. Jesus says this is what it's going to look like. It's going to put pressure on you. It's going to make some relationships harder. Notice that he also includes this little statement, even your own life. Let us not gloss over that in, in, in that verse here. He says, even your own life. We, we live in a culture in America, in 21st century America, we live in a culture where 
If you do it right, you can live your life in such a way that you will never have to listen to anybody disagree with you. Like even on television. You can choose television stations that will give you news based on your preconceived notion of how the news should be reported. You ever notice this? If you lean this way, you listen to this station. If you lean that way, you listen to that station. And so all you are ever confronted with is people who already agree with you because the worst thing for some Americans, the worst thing, the hardest thing for them to hear is for somebody to actually challenge their assumptions, to challenge their opinions and to say, you know what? You're wrong about that. And we kind of get insulated. We kind of have this whole, and the internet makes it worse. Like, I only have to listen to the news outlets that I agree with. I only have to listen to the people whose opinion I appreciate. And we kind of, this is what makes us so divided as a country, and we get so locked down into our opinions. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, your loyalty even to your own opinions has to come second to your loyalty to me. That you have to learn that the approach to knowing Jesus, to knowing God, is built on the premise that you are wrong. Like, do we ever think about this? We so badly want to be right. And the gospel, the foundational principle of the gospel and the Bible's message starts not with, you're doing okay, but you just need a little lift. The foundational principle of the gospel says you are dead and you are wrong and you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself no matter how hard you try. You needed a savior and Jesus Christ is that savior. That's the gospel. That's the premise, okay? So now listen, this is how it plays out in churches like ours. Can we at least be mature enough to tell the people who are coming that we also need to change? Because it's so easy to say, oh, they need to change. Those people over there. Yeah, they do. But so do we. Even your own life. Following Jesus might make you mad. <laughs> it might just rub you the wrong way once in a while. Eugene Peterson, who actually wrote the, the message translation of the Bible. Uh, it's a fantastic translation of the Bible. You should read it. A lot of people give him flack because it seems like he waters down the word. Let me tell you something. He didn't water down the word. He just made it more understandable. And in another book, here's what he says. He says, the great weakness of North American spirituality is that it is all about us. He's looking at the landscape of Christianity in America today, and he says, look, it's about fulfilling your potential. It's about getting in on the blessings of God, expanding your influence, finding your gifts, getting a handle on principles by which we can get an edge on the competition. And, and the more there is of us, the less there is of God. Do we understand what we're a part of? We are part of a rescue mission, and we are not the ones who rescue ourselves. It is all about God. It is all about Jesus and what he has done for you. Secondly, he says, following, uh, secondly, uh, taking notes, following Jesus may cost me safety and security. Following Jesus may cost me safety and security. Take up your cross and follow me. 
Whoever told you that following Jesus would make your life easier was lying. It might add some discomfort. On top of being challenged that you are wrong in some areas, actually in many areas of your life, on top of that, you're also going to have to experience persecution. You're going to have to experience some people who are going to hate the fact that you, like, that you love Jesus. You're going to get into arguments, disagreements. You're going to be nailed to the wall at work. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to be the one person at work that does it right and maybe makes less money because you do it right and honorable than the 50 other employees who cheat and, and break the rules and make lots of other money. You're going to have to be that person. This is the bar that Jesus is setting. And it's like, in America, we, we, we don't understand this, that, 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 that being a Christian or being a disciple, it will bring suffering to our lives. That's what the cross was. It was a form of suffering. We will suffer for this. And, and, and let, me, let's, let us not be deceived as to what suffering is, okay? We're in America. We're American Christians. We, 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 we have no clue what suffering is. We get a flat tire, and we're like, oh, suffering for Jesus. Jesus said this would happen. Oh, I guess I'll just sit comfortably in my air-conditioned car and call AAA. <laughs> That's not suffering. Here's what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone. Doing things right and when everybody else does them wrong, you're going to suffer for it. But I thought that if I followed Jesus, then, then he would reward me with more blessings. Uh, yes, he will, but there will also be persecutions. Jesus says at one point, I think it's Luke chapter 12, he says, everyone who gives up anything for the kingdom of God will in this life get back a hundred times as much and in the life to come, but you'll also get sufferings and persecutions. Let us not falsely present this mission. Let us not falsely present what it means to truly follow Jesus. In, 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 in other countries, in other countries, do you understand that it is a death sentence to follow Jesus? I was reading online on Forbes.com this week, uh, and it has said this, 300 Christians have arbitrarily been detained and arrested in Iran. Could you imagine just that could you just picture that for a moment with me, that you're at your church or you're at your small group and some guy comes in with a gun and he takes you out and he says, are you a Christian? You say yes, and he just throws you in a hole somewhere, locks the door. There's no appeal, there's no court, there's no jury, there's no judge, just thrown in a hole. And it's dark and it's smelly and it's nasty. Why? Because you said you followed Christ. This is happening now. This is real. I read another article that talked about in Saudi Arabia, the birthplace of Islam. It's against the law for Muslims to abandon their faith. A Lebanese man was sentenced to six years in prison and 300 lashes for converting a woman to Christianity. 300 times he was whipped just because he converted a woman to Christianity. Another man who aided and abetted her escape from the country, he got two years in prison and 200 lashes just for following Jesus. Jesus said, this is what it's going to look like. This is what it means. Number three, following Jesus requires thoughtful consideration. 
It says, look at the guy who goes out to build a tower. He first sits down and he estimates it. He estimates, does he have what it takes? Um, in churches like ours, we so badly want you to come to Jesus that sometimes, sometimes, and we're guilty of this too, sometimes we just kind of like make it all about the numbers. Are you going to come to, how many people got saved? How many people came? How many people getting baptized? It is all about the numbers. And sometimes we're guilty of just pushing and prodding and pushing and prodding and pushing and prodding and not really asking people to do what Jesus actually asked us to do. And that is to sit down and say, do I really want to go in this direction? Because it's going to be hard, it's going to rupture relationships, it's going to make me mad sometimes, and it's going to make me suffer. And that's what Jesus says. Sit down, count the cost. Think about it. I want you to think long and hard about this. It's a big deal. Count the cost. You know, it's like uh, a couple months ago, we were at a, a leadership conference in Norwood, and Ashley Bell shared this message, and he said, look, whenever you make a major life decision to change something about your life, that decision is immediately followed up by a thousand smaller decisions to keep that decision alive. So like January 1st comes around, and we say, I'm going to lose weight. Woohoo! I'm going to lose weight. This is the year. I'm going to drop 30 pounds by January 30th. <laughs> and you're just like, that's my decision. On January 1st, what happens? Lunch happens. <laughs> and now you actually have to make a decision at lunch to follow up that big decision. And then dinner happens, right? And then the next day, breakfast happens, and you usually don't even eat breakfast, but you're so stinking hungry from lunch and dinner the day before, now you're wolfing down anything. It's like a thousand decisions follow up that one major decision. It's like, it's like getting married. Getting married is easy. Some of you single people, you don't realize this. It's so simple. I, I, I watch, I do a lot of weddings, and, and I, I see how stressed out everybody is. Oh, everything's going to be perfect. Oh, my gosh. And my dress, and, and, and are you making sure the pastor, and you're going to make sure that, and pastor, will you, and pastor, and make sure that, but pastor, 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 pastor. Oh. <laughs> you realize this is the easy part, right? <laughs> you, you know, who in this audience right now knows that that's the easiest part? Married people, that's who know. That was the easy part. The people who don't realize that's the easy part are the people who are getting married. It's like we, married, we should just sit you down and say, look, don't worry about it. If the, if the kid cries during the ceremony, don't worry about it because you're going to hear a lot of kids crying for the next, next 30 years. You know, I mean, you've got to understand that one major decision, it's going to be followed up by a thousand lesser decisions to back up that decision. And Jesus says this, I want you to look at those decisions. I want you to really examine that. Thoughtfully consider being my disciple. And finally, lastly, fourth, he says, following Jesus, or, or the point is, following Jesus requires total commitment. Anyone who does not renounce all he has cannot be my disciple. Well, what does that mean, renounce all that I have? What does that mean? I have to give everything away? Well, it means that you have to be ready to. <laughs> it means that you have to renounce it. That you look at your pile of stuff in your life and you say, okay, this, I thought this was mine. It's actually God's. This car is God's. This TV is God's. This house is God's. These kids are God's. These clothes are God's. 
So I thought it was just 10%, Pastor. I thought it was 10%. You always talk about 10%. No, 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 no. The Bible says 10% comes to the house of God. But God wants it all. That you hold everything in life like this. This is the Lord's. And that you realize that following Jesus is a total commitment enterprise. And if he set the bar up here, then so should we. And maybe this message will scatter the crowd. I don't know. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus at one time looked back and he said, he's got 12, 12 followers, that's it, 12 were left. Are you going to leave? No. You have the eternal words of life. I could gain the whole world and lose my soul, it's not worth it. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, aim at heaven, aim at heaven in life, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. How are you doing with that? Is Jesus Lord? How are you doing with the scriptures? Are you reading the scriptures? Are you getting into the Bible? Are you letting God speak to you? How are you doing with giving, serving, helping somebody else? Who else other than you is benefiting from your Christianity? Who else other than you is benefiting from you being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Some of you parents, I need to ask you, who else other than your children are benefiting from you following Jesus? Because that's what it means to be a disciple. We are inundated today in Christianity. We are inundated in American culture. And you can turn on the television and watch Christian preachers. And I don't have anything to say about them negative. But listen, sometimes we hear the wrong message. It's just, just follow Jesus. Everything will be all right. Follow Jesus. You'll get lots of money. Follow Jesus and, and life will be blessed and stress-free. And it's just not true. And we need to understand what does discipleship truly look like. Every worthy endeavor takes guts, commitment, dedication, and agony. You want to be a great sports star? You're going to have to work. You want to, be, you want to be in part of the military and defend this country? Get ready for six months of, of die-hard training, all-out training. That's what it means. That's what we're going to look at when it comes to following Jesus so that we are ready to honor him with all of our lives. Would you stand with me?